One, two, three, four. Screen time, screen time, screen time, screen time. Screen time. It's my screen time too. Screen time, screen time, screen time. Hello and welcome to It's My Screen Time Too, the podcast where two moms review the best and worst in children's programming. From Netflix reboots and YouTube shorts to Disney classics and Pixar blockbusters. We watch, you listen. Find out what you can tolerate watching for family movie night, what to avoid altogether, and what you'll want to watch alone voluntarily. I'm Deborah, And I'm Katie. And I have three kids. Tony is 12 and Libby and Nate are nine. And I have two kids. Jay is six and Kenny is three. They are pretty stinking adorable, aren't they? They are. (laughs) Well, we like to tell a quick story about how awesome or occasionally awful our kids are because in addition to being witty and incisive pop culture consumers, we're moms too. So Deborah, I know you've had a rough week, but what have the kids been up to that's been particularly adorable? So over the holidays, we watched the movie The Martian as a family, inspired by you, because you said your kids had liked it. Uh-huh. And we have the book. So Nate just started reading the book this week, and he called me into his room the other day and read me a passage that ended with the S word and like the unbridled glee <laughs> of a nine-year-old seeing a swear word in print like, I wish I could bottle that. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> and talk about an ambitious independent reading project. I have not read The Martian, but isn't it full of like quite a bit of techno jargon? It is. I read it years ago, but it's a, written in like a casual voice. Like the Matt Damon, Mark Watney character is very much based on the narrator of the book. So, okay. It's still like approachable. Gotcha. That's awesome. I don't know how much Nate understood the techno part, but he sure liked the swear words. <laughs> fair. To be fair, I feel that way most days. <laughs> how about your kids? There has been a whole lot of adorableness going on. Um, mostly because daddy's been out of town. So like the longer he's gone, the more like my kids are just running wild. And They're loud in, like, the best of times, but, like, their decibel level is, like, approaching ridiculousness. Yesterday, I got out our teeny tiny drum kit, which Kenny is almost too small or too big for at this point. And they were playing around with it, making a huge racket. And Jay wanted to go play video games, so he was asking Kenny, Kenny, do you want to go play video games? Do you want to go play video games? And Kenny just kept saying... Jay, when I'm done banding. Oh. Which I loved. (laughs) Why isn't playing in a band called banding? Yeah, I love that. That's really cute. Does he look like Animal from the Muppets? He does because he really needs a haircut right now, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yesterday, he walked right in from school and he didn't even take his mask off. He sat right down at the drums and was like, wah. Just started banding. Yep, started banding. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Well, do you have any follow-up from last week's episode? I feel like the most important thing I have to ask you is whether you have all the lyrics to We Don't Talk About Bruno memorized. 
It's been in my head for sure, but I don't have all the lyrics down. Libby, however, has memorized like the whole soundtrack. So she'll correct me. That sounds like a nine-year-old. I like it. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Our screen time in the news segment today is about a piece from the New York Times magazine on January 5th called The Boy King of YouTube. And it is a profile of Ryan Kaji of Ryan's World fame, who we've talked about a bit on the podcast before. The author of the piece is J. Caspian Kang. So, as New York Times Magazine pieces are wont to do, he frames this profile with his own experience on either end. So, he starts it off in a way that really sucks me in by saying that he doesn't really care that much about giving screen time to his kid because he feels like it's hypocritical because he's always on his phone anyway. And then he immediately switches to some language that really got my hackles up. So there were some good quotes like, what kids programming isn't dumb? And what's the difference between watching the Anglophone silliness of Peppa, a show that exists only to sell toys, and a video of someone playing with the toys themselves? Dude. Dude. There's a whole world of children's programming out there, and some of it is good. So the fact that he's embarking on this profile with this obvious attitude of scorn was problematic for me to begin with. But Mm -hmm. then he launches into a fairly standard profile of Ryan, who is now 10 years old. He has been making these toy opening videos since he was three years old. He has 10 YouTube channels. And various corporate sponsors like Walmart, Target, and Skechers. And they estimate that he brings in $25 million annually. Uh, In talking with Ryan's parents, Sean and Luann, the author notes that they attribute his early success to luck which it's true. That's kind of how YouTube works, but also to the awareness that Ryan should be the brand as opposed to the brand of whatever toy he's playing with, which is really genius. People are tuning in to watch Ryan and not just Paw Patrol toys. Uh, He goes on to say that they started their own production company about a year into their videos and they teamed up with Pocket Watch in 2017 for licensing. We've talked about Pocket Watch here before because I believe they are in talks with various streaming platforms to produce uh, more content based on their YouTube stars. So the author speculates a little as to why kids like Ryan, maybe kids want to watch other kids doing what they want to be doing, or they want to watch a happy family being happy together. He worries that this will eventually curdle into resentment that their lives are not like Ryan's. (laughs) And then he switches back from this standard profile into his own voice (laughs) And he justifies his excuse for not liking videos like the ones Ryan produces by saying, quote, the limits we set as parents may be arbitrary, but they're all we've got. And that's it. (laughs) (laughs) So clearly the author is not following the best practices we've seen emphasized of consuming media with his kid and talking to her about what she's seeing. And his takeaway seems to be that he'll let her watch as much as he can stomach of the stuff that she wants to watch, 
but he makes it pretty clear that he can't generally take watching it himself. I just, dude, if you really hate these YouTube videos, you don't have to throw up your hands and give up on steering your kids to better content. That is why we're here. Right. Clearly, he has not been a longtime listener. It's my screen time, too. (laughs) What did you think of this article? Okay. I liked the framing of it with him interacting with his four-year-old. I don't think you should say to a four-year-old, this show is dumb about Paw Patrol. (laughs) Um, Like, give your child some credit. Like, they like what they like. Don't yuck their yum, right? Um, And then I found the story at the end when he was like riding in the car with the girl who was talking about how she plays video or plays a board game with her parents once a week. And it just made him like unreasonably angry. Like that was devastating to quote my new favorite podcasters on the Poog podcast. Devastating. (laughs) Devastated me. Um, But the whole the real topic of the article like ryan i don't know good for him his parents seemed really likable and reasonable and down to earth and like they're taking advantage of the situation but they're trying to keep ryan as normal as a youtube mom can keep their kid and like they moved to hawaii just because like they always wanted to live there and they fly in and he does a bunch of work for a day and then they fly back Yeah, I kind of, from the parenting perspective, uh, I love their whole strategy of trying to branch out to, like, auxiliary characters, like, cartoon characters that aren't Ryan, and then just have Ryan as, like, the introduction for these other things, so that Ryan has to be involved less, which seems a little bit healthier. Right. I do wonder how long, I hope that they're investing Ryan's earnings well because I think the appeal of him is that he's like this wide-eyed boy Mm -hmm. and he's not going to be a young child anymore like after a few years yeah to help they're really capitalizing on his appeal and I hope he gets to retire from YouTube when he's like 13 yeah Well, he does have two younger sisters. I don't know how much they're in the pipeline, but. Yeah, the article says they sometimes appear in the videos, but they're not like they don't have their own Ryan's little sister world yet. Right. Well, yeah, you wouldn't want to dilute the brand. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. The I remember when we first covered toy opening videos, it was before my kids were old enough to be into them. Mm-hmm. And I was just like flabbergasted that such a thing existed. And now I'm on the other side of it where like my kids have watched a fair amount of Ryan. Not so much the toy opening videos, but the other content like the cartoons and the science experiments and the wacky stuff that Ryan makes out of cardboard. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I'm actually pretty fine with it. Of all the stuff they could be dredging up on YouTube, I mean there's quality there it's it's professionally made content so my beef with some of the stuff that my kids watch on youtube is that it's just really terrible not scripted not produced by professionals and i would prefer that they watch something professionally done but you can find that on youtube yeah 
And we will pause here to have a brief note from Jay and Tony about what they think about Ryan's World. Uh, can you tell me what you think of Ryan's World? Um, I like it a lot. He just has some really exciting videos. Yeah. In Ryan's World, there's also um. Ra- Ryan's dart tag. I love that one. <laughs> That's all I really have to say about it. Okay, can you say goodbye? Bye. Do you know the YouTube channel Ryan's World? Know it? Yes. Watch it? Absolutely not. <laughs> That's for little kids. <laughs> I am not a little kid. <laughs> All right, should we move on to our main topic? Let's talk dragons. Today we are reviewing Dragons the Nine Realms, which is a new show on Hulu. It's the latest installment in the How to Train Your Dragon universe, which is comprised of three theatrically released movies, five short films with characters from the original, dragons race to the edge rescue riders there's a bunch of graphic novels and video games all of these are based on a series of books by Cressida Cowell which was first published in 2003 so dragons the nine realms is a six episode computer animated series released on Hulu and Peacock on December 23rd 2021 The episodes are a great length for me. They run around 23 minutes long and there were no ads. Yeah, that was nice for Hulu. I don't know how they decide when to force ads on us lowly customers that don't pay for a premium subscription and when they decide we don't need them. But in this case, we did not have to watch them. Yeah, it's produced by DreamWorks Animation, a subsidiary of NBC Universal since 2016. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. In Dragons the Nine Realms, the main character is Tom. His mom is a scientist and they move to this research facility. They get their own like little geodesic dome to live in, in this like colony of other workers who are researching this giant fissure in the earth. And their work is all sponsored by kind of a large behemoth company that has some sort of commercial designs on the fissure. Like the kids have a lot of skepticism for what the company might be up to. And Tom cannot, despite being banned from the fissure, he cannot stay away from it. And that's where the dragons come in. (laughs) So we picked it because we have not covered how to train your dragon or any of its offshoots yet. And it's about time. And this was pretty new. And it looked decent. So we watched the first three episodes and we'll go through the episodes one by one and then move on to our more general thoughts. Would you like to summarize episode one, first flight part one? Sure. Okay. So you already described how Tom and his mother moved to this research facility on the side of this fissure, which side note, fissure or fisher? Fish... I don't know that Mm. that's a word I've thought much about pronouncing, but you're going to hear a lot of it today, listeners. (laughs) Okay, so they moved to this research facility, 
Tom's mom is a scientist of some sort, and Tom, it's established really early on, is a very adventurous kid. So even though he's told to stay away from the fissure, like you said, he can't seem to stay away. And he, at one point, gets out his drone, because of course he has one, and tries to fly it down into the fissure to see what's down there. It gets knocked off course. So, of course, he has to climb partway down into the fissure with his handy pickaxe and see what's up. And he finds a dragon is trapped there. And him seeing the dragon is kind of where the first episode ends. We should say that the series, how it relates to the rest of the How to Train Your Dragon world, is that it takes place in the same world, but it's 1,300 years later. And people have forgotten that dragons ever existed. Right. So what did you think of this first episode? Did it suck you in? It did a little bit. I like shows that have like the four characters all with their distinct personalities. Like I love that kind of dynamic. I want to know more about the Fisher. Fish. Fisher. It's really hard to say. <laughs> I know. Is now it... we can't stop talking or thinking about how we say it. It's never going to be it like normal. The double S is an issue. Fissure. Fissure. <laughs> so the crack in the earth. How did it get there? Yeah, and is the way it appeared important at all, or is it just important that it has unearthed this world of dragons that were living underground for 1,300 years? Right. Was it a comet? I think maybe that's what we saw in the first. Yeah, it was a comet. Tom said his mom discovered the comet that made the fisher. Fisher? And then no, that's like a person who fishes. But never mind. D'Angelo's dad says that if Tom falls in it, he could never hit bottom, which is impossible. Yeah. But it must be really deep, like down to the core of the earth. I guess. All right. Fill us in on episode two. Okay. So in episode two, Tom gets to know the dragon a little bit better that he found in the first episode. He is like banned from the fissure but he cannot stay away he keeps going back and getting into these really dangerous dangerous situations at at the end of the episode he finds this like cave with like thousands of dragons flying around that's the big reveal I just have to say in the middle of that description as you were talking about Tom's behavior your worried mom face was just on full display like I can see whose side you are on in this show and you are firmly on Tom's mom's side (laughs) it stressed me out (laughs) but also as like somebody who like has a an appreciation for character development like why why can he not stay away from dangerous situations? Like he knows he's gonna, he knows he's gonna get punished or die. Like what is it? Like what happened to his dad? Is Does that like, have something to do with it? Did you watch that free solo movie about the guy <laughs> that just climbs up the sides of mountains and they do like a an MRI of his brain and they're like, well, yeah, he's missing that part that tells him he should not do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But at a certain point as a parent, you like to think that like you can reason a little bit with your children. And it's established that Tom is a young teenager, like 13, 14, whatever. Mm -hmm. And yet his mother saying, do not do this. It's very dangerous is not enough, which kind of terrifies me for the future of parenthood. I know. And their brains don't fully like develop until they're 25. I guess. I guess. So that. That makes years sense. of bad choices ahead of us. Oh man, love it. Love <laughs> to hear it. Uh, so we get to see the dragon a little bit more in this episode. And again, to tie it back to the original series, I did not see the third How to Train Your Dragon movie, but I think that is where the main dragon, Toothless, meets his girlfriend, who is like a white version of him. Okay. And they have babies then that end up looking like this dragon that we're seeing here, which is like kind of a mottled black and white. And he can make electricity. Right. Um, Their relationship seems to develop really quickly. A couple of quick questions that maybe I should wait for later to address, but I'm just going to jump in right now. Tom finds the dragon and the dragon is very hungry. So Tom has to, like, find food to bring to the dragon. But haven't the dragons been living underground this whole time? Plus, there's another cavern full of dragons. Like, clearly there's a food source somewhere. I thought back to the last thing that we reviewed when somebody throws up SpaghettiOs (laughs) at Christmas. And there's, like, a very gross scene where the dragon throws up spaghetti and meatballs. Like, what is it? Yeah, what's wrong with spaghetti and meatballs culture? (laughs) I think it just makes gross vomit. That was weird. And then Tom tries to feed Thunder all these things. And then Thunder's like insistent that Tom enjoy the food that Thunder also enjoys. Yeah, I guess I'm wondering why Thunder is so quick to form a bond with this human when like he clearly has a dragony life like mm-hmm. this fisher hasn't always been there right right what dragon and friends is thunder abandoning it's probably been like a thousand years since they had contact with humans yeah i guess maybe thunder is missing the same part of his brain that tells him (laughs) maybe proceed with caution with this new life form and don't become besties right away i'm sorry my dog is i'm gonna mute hello coco all right episode three is where tom's friend june gets let in on the dragon secret and they venture into the cave with all the dragons in it they discover some weird crystal eating sort of rhinoceros looking dragons that are very aggressive and June finds and eventually tames her own dragon that is a two-headed dragon that she names Wu Wei right that's the name she gives it eventually Uh, and she initially thinks that she needs to assert dominance over it and over the course of the episode she realizes that it's more of a partnership thing Or in the case of Tom and Thunder, just like an instant best friend vibe. So we have another dragon rider, and that's fun. What did you think of episode three? I liked those rhinoceros crystal eating dragons. Uh They were very fierce looking. They were. And Tom and June think because Thunder is so domesticated that all the dragons are going to be really friendly. And they are surprised when... 
Yeah. <laughs> the hardbacked dinosaur dragons come after them, shooting balls of firebombs out their mouths at them. I'm glad that Tom has a friend in like the dragon secret. And obviously the opening credits have told us that the other two kids that are there with them at the research facility are also eventually going to become dragon riders. But if this is really only a six episode series, like we're halfway through it and I'm not sure where their focus is going to be. Like, are we going to explore more about these crystal rhinoceros dragons and why they eat these magical crystals or is the focus going to be on like the potential danger that the research institute poses yeah it seems like so much is going on in these first three episodes like all my questions are not going to get answered in the next three episodes so maybe although all my reading told me it was just a six episode thing the plan is to keep it going first season after season in which case six episodes seems like a really short order for a first season but is that the way the industry is moving though? Because that's what Dore Me was on Amazon. That's true. And that was also weirdly short, though blessfully so. <laughs> blessfully? <laughs> Blessedly so is the word combination <laughs> I was looking for. <laughs> Should we move on to our overall thoughts? Let's do it. Do we like the concept and the plot? I mean, I'm a Ren Fair geek. Like, obviously, I enjoy stories about dragons. So I like the concept. I'm not sure that I'm fully on board with the time shift. What did you think? I have to confess that my kids have watched all the How to Train Your Dragon movies. And I've even been like in the room when they've been watching them. And I haven't really fully paid attention. For some reason, those movies didn't really appeal to me. But I liked this show. Maybe I should go back and watch those movies because had I paid attention, maybe there's something more compelling there. I have only seen the first two movies, but I thought they were great. Like, I cannot watch the second movie without just like crying my eyes out. And then later, my kids have watched pretty much all of the Rescue Riders content. There have been a couple like Rescue Rider movies that I think they haven't seen, but we've definitely seen the whole show and it's for a preschool show, pretty fun. Mm-hmm. So you didn't feel like you were uh, missing a big chunk of knowledge having not seen the earlier installments? I didn't, although I don't know what it would be like to watch had I paid attention to the movies. Maybe it would be more enjoyable. <laughs> um, are the Is there like an anti-capitalist bent to the movies? Well, it all takes place in like medieval viking land okay so there is like a bit of a subplot about like being expected to be the ruler and feeling like that's not really your role and what does it mean Mm -hmm. to be a leader in a community and does that necessarily mean you have to behave in a certain way but i wouldn't say that it's overtly anti-capitalist okay so let's talk about the cast and characters was there anyone that you particularly loved or hated what is Julia Stiles doing voicing one of the characters in this show? I know. I thought that was weird. But she provides the voice for Tom's mom. And as far as I could tell, she's like the only marquee actor involved, unless some of the kids are like well known from other things. But it just seemed so random because not that Tom's mom isn't a big character, but she's not a main character. 
Right. The uh, one of the other moms is voiced by actor Justina Machado from Six Feet Under. Oh. I don't think she's as big of a star as Julia Stiles. But I do like her. And I guess, you know, now that I said that, it could just be a continuation of the weird thing where actors of a certain age are like, must make content my children can consume. Could be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I don't know if those actors have families or if they didn't want to get COVID, maybe doing voice work is a good answer to that. Another excellent point. Excellent point. How about the fictional characters? Was there anyone you loved there? Okay. I really liked Alex. She's like the techie, quietly nerdy character. And she had really cool hair that like these really thick braids that at the ends they were tied with like computer cords. Uh Uh-huh. I liked that. (laughs) That was cute. I'm always going to gravitate towards the nerdy one. So I cannot Mm -hmm. wait until she gets her own dragon. I also quite like June. She's like the woo-woo mystical one, which Mm -hmm. strikes a chord with me a little bit as well. Yeah, I feel like because of the age of the characters, there's a little more, they're more interesting to me than like very young children characters are. Because these are like, I don't know, sort of tweens, early adolescents. I feel like in much the same way tween Katie would, I just have zero patience for Tom because he's behaving in such a reckless manner. Yeah. Again, I would like to know why, like the motivation behind why he's so incorrigible. They do say briefly in the pilot episode that they are descendants from Vikings. So maybe we're meant to believe that they are actually the descendants of the main characters from the original franchise. And that's why Tom has this insatiable need to connect with the dragons. I don't know. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Inherited like explorer genes, maybe. Sure. That's that's how genetics <laughs> works. Based on my understanding, that seems that seems right. <laughs> so let's talk about the animation. Um DreamWorks computer animated shows definitely have a look. You have noted that Camp Cretaceous and the Fast and the Furious come to mind as very similar looking shows. I have two thoughts on this. One, why are their feet so big? They all have like giant, giant feet. Um, And then their faces kind of look like those Instagram AI model accounts. Yeah, it does not look good. This is not a good looking show. And the original films, and I think even at least the first animated series, Race to the Edge, still has a very like polished look. I was thinking about those big feet too and I should have gone back to look at more images from the original movies but I was thinking about the main kind of teen female character is named Astrid and her look is kind of great because she has this like little viking skirt on and then these huge woolly viking boots Uh And I think that is what the big feet design is made for. And then you just put that in modern clothes and it looks really weird and not good. So that was another element that made me not sure about the time shift and really question how much of my enjoyment of the franchise was based on the old timey Viking setting. For me, it hurts this show that we just watched Encanto because for me, Disney animation is the pinnacle of all 
animation. And there's always going to be a difference between what you see in theatrically released movie animation versus what you see for animation made for TV. But there's way better looking computer animated stuff on TV than this. This felt very plastic-y. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although I will say the dragons looked better than the humans. And if that is where they were putting their attention animation wise, like that, that was fine. Yeah. The dragons were more inventive for sure. Um, There's not a lot of music except for that orchestral score. Do you have any thoughts on that? They did bring back like the main theme from the how to train your dragon movies, which was a nice bit of connective tissue in I think a series that needed more um, needed more to kind of remind you of the appeal of the original franchise Mm -hmm. or at least I needed more so those moments when um, Tom was flying on thunder through like the lava caverns and they had that you know bit of musical score in the background that was an echo of the score from the original movie so okay um, what did you think about the length and the structure? I mentioned earlier that this is a great episode length for me. <laughs> for a show that I didn't like, I was jazzed that the episodes were only like 23 <laughs> minutes long. It was pretty quick to get through and I guess would make a pretty quick binge if your kids wanted to sit down and watch all six episodes. Um, the whole DreamWorks animation thing and the fact that all this dragons content used to be available on Netflix and now they've switched to Hulu and it just makes it kind of confusing for such a sprawling property to know where to find all the different installments. I did a little bit of searching around just to see like, could I cobble together every piece of this if I wanted to with across streaming platforms and cable And I found the original How to Train Your Dragon was available to stream on Peacock. But then How to Train Your Dragon 2 was on Netflix, as was all the Race to the Edge and all the short films and Rescue Riders. But then I couldn't find the third installment anywhere, like not even airing on television anywhere. So that was kind of disappointing. I guess I just... I mean, DreamWorks animation was so central to Netflix building its kids content catalog. When you think about what Netflix was putting out like five years ago, even it was like all DreamWorks animation stuff. Mm -hmm. And now to have them kind of taking their toys and going back to their own house and trying to set all this (laughs) up with Peacock, which is the streaming service owned by NBC Universal. Uh, it's just an an interesting development. Yeah, to me, this doesn't seem like I would subscribe to a particular service because of this franchise. It would be like a bonus that it's there, maybe, but it wouldn't be the reason. Yeah, I think Peacock definitely has to do some development on its kids' content if they want to be a destination there. I like that it was on Hulu because I do subscribe to Hulu and I could watch it there. Um, but Peacock so far has been the outlying streaming service, like as each streaming service has crept its way into my wallet, Peacock has been the one that I've so far been able to resist. Right. Uh, were you able to compare 
this to any movie or show for grownups. I'm counting on you because I don't really watch any type of fantasy <laughs> at all. So you've got to fill in. Well, if you're only talking about dragons, obviously you want to reach for Game of Thrones. Okay. Uh, but I also thought about this really terrible movie from Ooh, maybe the early 2000s starring Matthew McConaughey and Christian Bale about a post-apocalyptic future where most of humanity was wiped out by dragons and it was called Reign of Fire. Oh, wow. <laughs> that was not on my radar at all. As an early fan of Christian Bale's, I definitely <laughs> saw that movie in the theaters and even... <laughs> I don't know if I would maybe I'm not exactly sure where I would situate it in time, but like it, my love of Christian Bale did not carry me through this film. I was like, nope, still bad. <laughs> <laughs> Were you able to cast the gritty HBO reboot? Now, this is where I need you to go first, because I will admit that I did not think about it at all. OK, so I would cast Lakeith Stanfield as the Tom character, because I think he can play really reckless like don't give a anything attitude okay and I would cast in the role of June Amory Cower she's in the sex lives of college girls which is a really cute show on HBO Max developed by Mindy Kaling um Camilla Cabello would be Alex I think she could wow, do that you're casting her in- oh wait you like that movie never mind I liked that movie. now we're bringing up our contentious disagreement about the Amazon Prime Cinderella movie again but fine go ahead and cast her <laughs> <laughs> well and also I just don't know a lot of actors in that Lakeith Stanfield is probably like a decade older than all of these other actors that I'm yeah. mentioning um but then I would cast as D'Angelo Dylan Arnold he plays Theo on you I I am not caught up on you I only watched the first season okay he is like a younger neighbor of um the main character okay in episode or season three I don't know young person yeah young people (laughs) as I was watching the growing dynamics between like the core foursome of teens I kept thinking about the relationships between the young scientists in the movie Big Hero 6 have you seen that one? Oh yeah that's that was one of my kids favorites for a while that's one that I like a lot so if I were to age up the core four I really like Damon Wayne's Jr.'s portrayal of Wasabi in Big Hero 6. Yeah. So we can just port him over to the foursome here <laughs> at Dragons, the Nine Realms. Speaking of which, they still haven't gotten to the Nine Realms part of it, and we're already halfway through. I don't halfway. know. Halfway. Yeah. <laughs> right. We've barely scratched one realm. Um, okay, so we've got Damon Wayne's Jr. We've got, I thought, maybe Zach Efron. I've been feeling very charitable towards him lately so he could like come over and be our tom sure if we're casting people from the sex lives of college girls okay so her name is midori francis i like her i liked her in dash and lily i like her in sex lives of college girls so i would cast her and then for the second girl how about that little girl from uh dora and the lost city of gold whose name i have also forgotten Oh, yeah. I love her. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that that seems like a good foursome. I just cobbled that together. 
Was it better when we were kids? The earlier installments of these movies are better. They came out Mm -hmm. when we were already adults. Dragon content when we were kids. I mean, you got to go with the gold standard, which would have been the never ending story. The best dragon ever is obviously Falcor the Luck Dragon. So in that sense, yes, it was better when we were kids. Okay, I'm with you there. Would you ever watch this alone voluntarily? Here's the sad thing. I did. I did not watch this with my kids because they have taken a hard turn away from the dragon's content. Like after watching all of the rescue rest. Why am I saying rescue rangers? That's not right. Rescue riders and watching it to the point of me getting sick of it. Now they won't watch any of it. They won't watch the movies. They won't watch any of the series that are like kind of for the next level up of kids because rescue Rescue Riders is for <laughs> preschoolers, but then Race the Edge gets more into the tweeniness of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have zero interest. So I was worried, even though we had time, like I had a block of time with them last night when we didn't have anything planned, we could have sat down and spent an hour and 10 minutes watching these three episodes but I wasn't sure they'd do it. So I had to do it by myself, which would not have been my preference. How about you? I watched the first one with my kids and then they gave up on it. They didn't like it? No, I thought they would be into the premise. I think it is a good premise. So I ended up watching episodes two and three by myself. I am probably not, I'm intrigued, but probably not enough to finish it on my own. Yeah, If any goodness of the plot to me was totally overtaken by the crappiness of the animation. Mm -hmm. It's like the opposite of Maya and the three. Yeah. Um, So 10 seconds on whether this is good for our kids. I think Jay might be the right age for like the teen main character to be aspirational. Mm -hmm. And if he were in a different place where like the Dragons franchise was attractive to him, I think it would probably be fine. I would rather he watch the other stuff just because I prefer it. But I think probably that like six to 10 age range is where they're aiming. And it was just dull for Kenny, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's fine for kids, but I did not enjoy Tom's rule breaking. Ooh, yeah, you think you would worry about the the example set. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. So ratings? two uh yeah I would give it a three I mean I feel bad like I like the franchise and I hate that this is the only installment that we've reviewed and I need to review it so poorly so listeners I would recommend if you haven't maybe seeking out any of those other properties to get a taste of the how to train your dragon universe Mm-hmm. Oh, but bring your tissues if you watch the second movie. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of It's My Screen Time 2. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. You can still check out our website at myscreentime2.com or find us on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even Gmail at myscreentime 2 Send us your show or movie suggestions, article recommendations, or general comments about the show. Our theme music was composed and performed by Deborah and her adorable children, and our podcast is produced by me, Katie. 
Tune in next time for more real talk about the movies and TV beloved by kids and tolerated by parents. Bye! Bye! Bye.